morning. Good to be with you today and to open up God's Word. I don't know if it's the 10th anniversary of 9-11 approaching next week or what, but I've been more aware recently of how uncertain of a world we live in, how uncertain the times are. And, and I'm sure that everyone of living in any and every time could say that, but I've been feeling it even more. Um, you watch or listen to the news any day and you see things can change in a moment, in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, and uh, we live in uncertain times. And what we see is that people are looking for certainty, something that they can hold on to, something solid. And what we see is that people are afraid and insecure and, and worried, both about what's going on and what might happen. Could be the situation for some of us. There are internal and external troubles we all face. A lot of the things we trust in get taken away. Think of money, whether it's the stock market or your retirement account or a paycheck. Uh, that can just go in a moment. Or think about position, jobs and status, and a lot of things that we put pride in can be gone in an instant. You think about relationships, family and friends and coworkers and even leaders that maybe put us, uh, to, uh, put us down or, or, um, or let us down. And um, the Bible says not all have faith. A lot of times people will say, hey, you say you walk by faith and not by sight. You're weak. You need a crutch. But I've also found that in times like this, and when people really know that life is uncertain, they are more open to, to talk about what they truly believe, what they truly think and feel about things. So People want something they can trust. And the world we live in today is not so unlike the first century world. You take away all the outside appearance trappings and you're going to have sin and pride at the root. You're going to see the outcroppings of that in economic uneasiness and political unrest and spiritual confusion. Today is not so much different than the times that Jesus was on earth. And in uncertain times, we need unchanging truth. That's why I'm going to ask you once again to open up your Bible. Turn to Matthew chapter 14. Stand with me if you are able. And we're going to read. We're going to read three verses. And let me just remind you that this is the only perfect, infallible, inerrant part of the worship service. Matthew chapter 14, verses 34 through 36. And when they had crossed over, they came to land at Gennesaret. And when the men of that place recognized him, they sent around to all that region and brought to him all who were sick and implored him that they might only touch the fringe of his garment. And as many as touched it were made well. Let's pray. Lord God, we come to you today 
Acknowledging that you are good. And acknowledging that we are weak, but you are strong. And that we are needy, but you are our provider. You are Jehovah Jireh. Lord, we ask now that in these brief moments that you would provide for us again. Give us clear vision, Lord, of what you are saying in your word. Give us understanding that we may learn and grow. For those who know Christ, that we would grow in Christ. For those who don't know Christ, that they would see that Jesus Christ is the only way to peace and to life. So we commit this time to you, Lord. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you've been around Grace Church for any length of time, you know that we have been going through the Gospel of Matthew. And we have been going, uh, as of this month, through the Gospel of Matthew for three years. And this is now sermon number 98. And after today, we will have gone verse by verse through half the book, which means uh, 14 chapters in and, and 14 to go. Praise God. And, and every bit of God's Word is significant. And we've broken this series down into smaller parts. Most recently, in the larger series, we've been a part of a smaller series now called Response, about people's response to Jesus and Jesus' response to people. And it's really rooted in, in Matthew chapter 14, though it started in chapter 13, verse 53, where we saw that that. Jesus' hometown, Nazareth, didn't believe. They rejected him. In fact, it says that, that Jesus didn't do many miracles there because of their unbelief. We moved on to see King Herod, a local ruler, who responded with injustice, and he didn't believe. We go on where we see that Jesus responds to human need and takes compassionate action to feed 5,000, or if you count everyone who was probably present... 10, 15, or 20,000 people. And then we saw Peter responding with a mixture of faith and doubt as he walked on and sank in and was saved out of the water. And uh, we saw in Peter a lot like we respond to our daily circumstances. And then today, what we're seeing here is a bunch of unnamed outsiders on the other side of the Sea of Galilee who respond to Jesus, who go to him for help. And we see Jesus respond to them. Now the first thing you're going to notice about this passage upon closer inspection is that it's a summary. It's a transition. And I, I usually go right past those on to what's next. Well, what's next is chapter 15. And this makes a great summary and transmission, transition from chapter 14 to chapter 15. But it's more than just a summary statement. It's more than just a transition from one thing to another. God has something to teach us in it, as he does in every part of his work. There's purpose in it beyond merely a, a summation of what had happened. So let's take a closer look and... And see what happened. It's very simple what happened. It's also very extraordinary what Jesus does. But in verse 34, 
It says they had crossed over. They had gone across the Sea of Galilee. They had come through this miraculous occurrence on the water. Before that, it was the feeding of the 5,000. And they had just been through this ordeal where in the middle of the night, they're in, this, they're in the boat and there's a storm that, that blows up and Jesus comes walking on the water between 3 and 6 in the morning. They had to have been exhausted. And... Uh, Peter does the walking, sinking, and Jesus does the saving on, on, on the water there. And it says in verse 34 that they crossed over and came to land at Gennesaret. I don't know a lot about this place. There's not a lot written about the place. But what I do know, I'll tell you, is that it was a very fertile ground. It was, it was a type place that anything would grow there. All four seasons basically had a, a little competition going because everything grew. It's all, it sounds a lot like Southern California. What happens is that they come to land at Gennesaret, this fertile ground where you could grow anything, and the people there, verse 35 tell us, recognize Jesus. And when they recognize Jesus, they start r- running away. But not in rejection. They're going to gather people to bring to Jesus. And it says that they sent word into all the surrounding area. And they brought to him all who were sick. That word sick uh, literally is had it bad. Those who had it bad physically, emotionally, spiritually. They were sick. People were bringing them to Jesus. They saw it was Jesus and they said... This guy can help them. So they brought them. Now I want to show you in, Matthew, in Mark chapter 6 a, a few more details about this story that Mark brings out. As you know, Matthew is very brief. He gets to the point. He gives just the facts that fit the context. But here's what Mark says. Mark chapter 6 and verse 53. When they had crossed over, they came to land at Gennesaret and moored to the shore. Then... When they got out of the boat, the people immediately recognized him and ran around all the region and began to bring the sick people on their beds. So here they're bringing them on stretchers, basically, to Jesus. And it says here that they brought them on their beds to wherever they heard he was. When I read it in Matthew, I thought, oh, this is just one particular instance Well, Mark shows us that this was not just one instance in time, but it was uh, speaking of many, many little occasions where he was somewhere and they brought people to him. I'm not sure how long that took. But it says that wherever he came, verse 56, in villages, cities, or countryside, wherever he was, they would bring people and lay the sick in the marketplaces where the people gathered where they would gather for social interaction and for buying their food. And, and they would put him, them right there and they put him in front of Jesus and then they would implore him. They might even touch the fringe of his garment. And Mark says the same thing as Matthew. As many as touched it were made well. Meaning that anyone who didn't wasn't. Verse 36, they implored him. It literally means they begged, they, they beseeched. Jesus. It's not a, a little casual asking a question. It's more like when your kids ask you over and over and over again the same thing and it gets very annoying. It's like a continual asking. 
But Jesus actually had instructed people to do that with him. You might remember what he said to his disciples in Matthew chapter 9 when he saw the multitudes and he had compassion on them and he said, the harvest is plentiful, the workers are few. Beseech, beg, implore over and over again. Beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. Jesus had asked them to do that. But here, these people implored that they might touch the fringe of his cloak. To us, that sounds very superstitious, doesn't it? It conjures up ideas of prayer hankies and other things that people have clung to instead of Jesus. So we don't understand that, but the Bible says that's what they did. They, they wanted to touch the fringe of his cloak, and they implored him. Now, there are other instances in the Gospels where people implored Jesus to leave. Here, they're imploring him to stay. They need him. They want him. I get this picture of, of enthusiasm, but not just enthusiasm, desperate enthusiasm. They're in need. The people are sick. They heard of what Jesus has done. We don't have other records of where Jesus went to this place. So I don't know how they recognized him. But they recognized him and then sent and said, this guy's going to help. And they went out on a limb. They brought the people from their homes and laid them down in the, markets, in the marketplace. Exposed them to the elements. They're sick. It's interesting that this is a transition into chapter 15. Chapter 15, the scribes and the Pharisees get angry at Jesus because his disciples ate with unwashed hands. They were ceremonially, un ceremoniously unclean. Can you imagine what they thought of Jesus after he spent all this time with these outsiders who were thought to be unclean? See, Jesus doesn't get unclean by touching something unclean. Jesus makes clean. Verse 36, they implored him that they might touch the fringe of his cloak and they expressed this desire. They literally prayed to Jesus. And so what they did is they actually touched the fringe of his garment and were healed. Jesus granted what they wanted. He gave them what they wanted. What is it that you're trusting God for today? What is it? That thing, that burden, that, that need what is the need that you are trusting God for today? That you are waiting on Him about? If you're anything like me, you're very tempted to, to give up and say, you know, I've been asking and asking and nothing's happening. I think God wants me to just not ask anymore. And I say to you, don't stop. Keep asking. You've got an open invite from Jesus to keep asking, keep praying, keep waiting, keep seeking. Now, your present need might not be met in the way that you would hope. A lot of times I'll pray and I'm, I'm looking for this outcome. And the outcome God wants to bring about is on the other side of the spectrum. Sometimes things get better before they get... Sometimes things get worse before they get better. But I will tell you this, your deepest need will be met. Well, your temporary need might not get met in the way that you had hoped that it would, that, you know, your perfect picture of if God met this need, here's how it, my life would look. See, we like to plan it out. 
imagine it. Well, God plans it out. He knows the beginning and the end. He knows, it's like that old poem about the weaver, you know, with the dark and the light threads and it makes this masterpiece, but all you see is the underside. But I will, I will, I will tell you that God will be your sufficiency. God will be your adequacy even in the midst of an unmet need. And he will meet your every need, your true needs. But keep asking, do not stop. Implore him and beseech him. Beg. You're invited to by God. But what was going on here? What was happening? What were the people doing? Were, were they being superstitious? Were they using Jesus? Much like the, peop- the 5,000 that were fed, that, you know, they come back and Jesus says, I know why you're here. You got the bread and the fish. You want more of what I give. They didn't want him. Is that what's going on here? Or is it something else? Is it an extraordinary display of faith? That's what I think it was. I think what's going on here is that the people were responding in faith. And that they then had Jesus respond to their faith by healing them. That's what I think happened. Either way, we know they were healed. They were healed. Now, how do we, how do we know it's, it was faith? I want to give you some examples from the immediate context, from these three verses, as well as from the larger context in Matthew chapter 14. All right? So first of all, the immediate context. They recognized Jesus. So there was some element of spiritual sensitivity going on. They did not reject him. Herod did. The people in Nazareth did. They did not. The second thing is they sent out word about Jesus. And it wasn't, hey, Jesus is here. Let's get him. No, it's Jesus is here. He can help you. And there was some sort of evangelistic fervor on their part to gather people to Jesus. That's the other thing is they brought them to him. They had a a compassionate desire to help other people. That's a good thing, right? So they were doing some things that would be in line with, with some measure of faith. And they prayed to Jesus. They implored him. They beseeched him. They begged him to help them. They, they wanted Jesus to help. Now, I think the other uh, proof is that they were healed by Jesus. And I'm not saying that every time Jesus heals someone that they believed. But in this situation, we don't see anything to the contrary. They were given the gift of wholeness, of wellness. Literally, they had it bad, and Jesus made it good for them in that setting. He relieved their suffering for that time. How do we know it was faith from from the larger context in Matthew 14? Just go to Nazareth. No faith. Just see Herod. No faith. The 5,000. They didn't ask for a thing, right? God just met their need. Peter. Little faith. Some faith. Then doubt. But he did ask in faith, Lord, save me. He knew Jesus could save him from the water. And his request was granted. And he worshipped him in faith. But then you come to the people of Gennesaret. And you're like, so what's the deal? They got what they asked for. They were asking for something good and God gave it to them. God is a giver of every good and perfect gift. These are unnamed outsiders. Responding from what I believe to be faith. 
I don't know for sure, but I'm, I'm looking at this and thinking, hmm, from the immediate context and from the larger context, it seems to me that they were one of the only groups in chapter four, uh, the end of chapter 13 through 14 to, to, to respond in faith. Maybe like a um, fourth soil faith. Remember chapter 13, the parable of the soils? You could see in, in, chapter, in chapter 14 uh, some of the soils. And, and you could say that these were people from a, a land that was fertile, that had fertile hearts for the Lord. But whatever the case, they believed strongly at that moment in the power of Jesus to the point that they said contact with Jesus will bring deliverance. They were right. They were absolutely right. Now, in general, this passage tells us that, shows us in, in a summary statement that Jesus' fame continued to grow and that Jesus continued to show his power and his, his uh, compassion towards people. But specifically, what I think this passage shows us is that acts of faith are rewarded by God. Acts of faith are rewarded by God. Here's what we can learn regarding responding to faith. And I think it fits with, again, this immediate and, and larger context of Matthew. And it's that Jesus blesses all those who come to him in faith. And he does so for a reason. It's not an indiscriminate thing, but there's a reason for him to do this, and it's because he wants them to trust and obey him in everything. Now, not all have faith. Not all will believe. But the idea is that he, he blesses those who come to him in faith so that they might have more faith. That he responds to faith by, by giving more faith. Romans 1 says that, that he takes us from faith to what? Faith. More faith. Now, if you've received God's blessings, and all of us have, even if you're not a believer, God wants you not to bring, grab all those blessings for your own good and your own selfish reasons, but that you might find your true life in him. So the general blessings that God gives is not just for, hey, this is for your selfish desires. No, it's so that we would see that God is the giver of every good and perfect gift. I think over, over all, these three short verses, they give again a picture of what we've seen of Jesus in the Gospels, especially in Matthew. We, see, this, these verses are all focused on Jesus. They're not focused on what the people did. What do we do, though? Someone acts in faith, and we say, wow, you have a lot of faith, instead of, wow, you have a great God. See, what the people did is kind of secondary to the primary things in this passage. They recognized Jesus. They sent news around about Jesus. They brought people to Jesus. They implored Jesus. They touched the fringe of Jesus' cloak and Jesus healed them. It's all about Jesus acting for the good of other people. So let me give you four things. There's four things I, I want to point out here that, that reinforce the picture of Jesus that we see already in Matthew. The first is that Jesus is the compassionate one who blesses all those who come to him. Acts chapter 10, you see Peter getting a vision from God 
and you know he's hungry and he wants something to eat and you know in in that setting you could go up on the roof or the flat roof and and go where it's cool and and he he, he basically has a vision of this big sheet being laid uh, brought down from the sky and all these animals inside of it animals that he was not supposed to eat as a good jew and god's saying to him kill and eat have a feast and peter's saying to god no i won't because i know that i'm not supposed to and and god says yes you are you need to listen to me and so peter gets a a a a special messenger sent to him and he's sent to them and 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 finds out that that he is indeed supposed to to uh not call unclean what God has called clean, made clean. It's a longer story than that, but let me show you what, G, what Peter says at the end, verse 34, Acts 10, 34. Truly I understand what God, that God shows no partiality. He's preaching, by the way. Peter's preaching. And he's preaching to Gentiles. That was the whole point. Uh, I'm not going to those people. And God says, oh, yes, you are. And yes, you will. And he says to these Gentiles, he's preaching to them, truly I understand that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, everyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. I bet Peter couldn't believe his his own words. Probably shocked by his own words. He didn't believe that before, but God changed his mind. He saw the truth, and here's what he said. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. Jesus Christ is Lord of all, he says. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea. He's reminding them about the gospel story. Beginning from Galilee, after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth, who rejected him, with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, just like he did for the people at Gennesaret. Because God was with him. And he goes on and he tells how the prophets bore witness to Jesus as well. But Jesus is the compassionate one who, who blesses all who come to him. He here blessed outsiders. That's not the first time we've seen this happen. He does it over and over again. But I know what I'm, I'm more tempted to do with those that or outside, well, profile, avoid, shun, assume, judge, mistreat. Here's what Jesus does. He gives hope to all who feel totally unworthy. The poor in spirit. That's how we ought to be as well. He's the compassionate one who blesses all who come to him without partiality. Number two, Jesus is the deliverer. He's the deliverer that saves from sin. What was he saving them from in this setting? From the miserable effects of sin. From the backwash of sin. We were to pray in the Lord's Prayer. We're instructed, deliver us from evil. He was delivering them from the effects of evil. By the way, so far in Matthew, we've seen 15 miracles that Jesus did. And some are, they're all big, but some are really big. But they're all supernatural, and they're all things that only God can do. Fifteen miracles of Jesus so far. 
He is the deliverer who saved from sin. That's what they, people see over and over and over again in the Gospels. People had it bad, just like the people from Gennesaret, and Jesus makes it good for them. He works all things together for good to those who love him, who are called according to his purpose, Romans 8.28 tells us. The absolute biggest deliverance that ever happened. It happened through the cross. You see it in Colossians chapter 1. But if, if, ev- if the cross brings about the biggest deliverance, then everything else is thrown in. Listen to this, Colossians 1.13. He has delivered us, and, and this is speaking of believers in Christ. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness. We're residing in spiritual darkness. He has delivered us from that domain, that dwelling, that abode, and transferred us. We got to transfer, spiritually speaking. Transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Colossians 1 goes on to highlight Jesus Christ and His preeminence. Jesus is the deliverer who saves from sin. So if you're burdened today, if you're weak and wasted and thrashed by sin's effects, and you come to the place where I've seen so many people where they say, where's God in all this? I've seen believers ask this question. We get to the point almost of despair. We say, where's God in the middle of this? And it's so hard to answer that question to the person who's despairing. But the answer, the true answer is, he's right where he's been the whole time. That for a believer who's indwelt by Christ, there's never a moment where God's care falters. There's never a moment when he is not intimately acquainted with all of our ways. He is near to the brokenhearted. And to everyone, your healing will come someday. It might not come in the way or in the manner or in the timing with which you choose, but someday. We, you know, the way we live is like this. It's basically suffering here, glory there. Anything else is icing. Suffering here, glory there. Someday, finally home. We were singing. Contact with Jesus brings deliverance. That's what those people believed. We got to believe that. The contact with Jesus brings deliverance. Third thing. Jesus is the living word who points us to the word of God. Now, you're going to wonder right now, where does this show up in this passage we're going verse by verse and you're just talking about the Word of God. Yes, we read the Word of God, but where? Show me where he's pointing them to the Word of God. You need to go with me to Numbers chapter 15. Now here's where the touching the fringe comes in. You know, I, I've been puzzled by this every time I've read it because, because of the, the excesses and errors that in, in our culture we see with this type of stuff. Hey, just touch this. Just touch your TV screen. Just do this. Just do that. And, and you know, God's going to push his power through me to you you know all that kind of stuff and look God can do anything he wants anytime he wants with whomever he wants 
But the idea is many times we, we see in, a, in our culture uh, errors that go towards people rather than, than Jesus. But Exodus, excuse me, Numbers, Numbers chapter 15. You know, you go, what's the deal with the, the touching the fringe of the cloak thing? The lady did it. She touched Jesus, the fringe of Jesus' cloak and Jesus said, your faith has made you well. What's all the deal about that? I think there's something here in Numbers 15 that, that opens, it wide, opens it outright to us and we go, ah, ah, that was an aha moment for me. Uh, Numbers 15, verse 37. All right, let's read. The, the Lord said to Moses, speak to the people of Israel. Everyone's going to be spoken to in the gathering and tell them, so they're telling them to do something. Tell them to make tassels on the corner of their garments throughout their generations. Okay, now I, I got to mention guys, especially the guys, Jewish men wore these long robes. Just be thankful. That's all, that's all I can say. Be thankful. Ladies, you know, this, you know what it's like, but just guys, be thankful we don't wear these long flowing robes. But on the end of their robes, they were to put a cord of blue on the tassel of each corner. So it's kind of cool, two of my favorite colors, blue and white. There, there it was. In every corner of the robe was a blue and white tassel. Now, can you imagine living like that on a daily basis? You're walking around, tripping over tassels, bumping into tassels, going, what's that tassel for? Well, here's what it was for. Verse 39, it shall be a tassel for you to look at and remember all the commandments of the Lord. It was for the the wearer to remember God's word. Now, it says this, that you would remember and all the commandments of the Lord to do them not to follow after your own heart and your own eyes. That's what we do every day, right? We have got to have constant contact with the Word of God on a daily basis or we will follow after our own ways and our own eyes. Right? So this is a constant reminder, a a tactile reminder, a touching reminder for them of, of, of God's Word. And he says, don't follow after that which you are inclined to go after, so you shall remember and do my commandments and be holy to your God. I am the Lord your God. A declaration, by the way, of the living God who brought you out of the land of Egypt to be your God. I delivered you. And then he says again, I am the Lord your God. A double declaration from the Lord God. Now you tie this back into they just wanted they're asking let us just touch the fringe of your cloak. Let us touch the tassel. Now I think I don't have this 100% but this is what it seems like to me that Jesus let them do that so that they would remember on an ongoing basis that the word of God is where their life ought to be rooted. The word of the living God. Do you think anyone who got saved from their sickness that day ever forgot touching the tassel? I think not. Jesus wanted the touchers to, to have the same experience that the wearers would have. To be remi- It's almost like Jesus was saying, okay, this is a start. You're going to get healed today. But you want to continue on with me? You get rooted in my word. You want to continue on with me? Obey my word. That's where your life is. That's where you find true life. Got to put yourself in daily contact 
with the living word and the written word of God. You can't worship the living word without knowing the written word. You know, all of us, we, you know, if you're into nutrition, you know everyone needs daily nutrients, right? Things like, and I'm going to get something wrong here, but things like fat and, and, and nutrients <laughs> and vitamins and carbs, they're not all bad, and, and calcium, and you need water. And I know something about every one of you. You ate this week, and you drank water this week because you probably wouldn't be here today if you didn't. You know what you need to be healthy and to keep going, so you go get what you need. How is it that every, that every Christian wouldn't be so committed to the word of God because they know that's where their life, uh, the scriptures say, indeed, this is your, they're, they're your life. The, the word of God is your life. It's all wrapped up right in there. I was in North Carolina recently uh, with our family on our big trip, and we went to visit some friends that, that moved there, and I'm out one day in the neighborhood, and um, I'm, uh, I'm going by this one house, and big lawn, big, big, huge yard, and two dogs coming at me. I'm like, this is not good. Where's a rock? A rock. I need a rock to throw at him, you know, and, and, uh, or I'm going to kick him or something. And then I see something that semi put my mind at ease halfway. There was a sign that said, caution, blind dog. So I'm thinking, hmm, okay, one of them's going to kill me, one of them's going to bump into me, you know. <laughs> but then I saw another sign that really, really made me just go, oh, I'm good, I'm good. I can taunt them if I want, which I did not. It said, invisible fence. I'm like, all right. They only went up to the invisible fence. They didn't go any further. And guess what? That invisible fence was for their protection and mine. They didn't bite me or bump into me, and I didn't throw something at them or kick them or whatever. And, and, and the, the invisible fence was the protection. And I think, I'm going to put this together for you. I think there's seen and unseen elements with the Word of God. There is the seen, the tactile, the touching, tangible elements that remind us that we need Jesus in his word every single day. And whether it's on your phone, your iPad, your, your real Bible that's printed, or whatever, you need the word of God. But once you take it in, then you have it with you. And the Holy Spirit applies the word of God in the life of a child of God. And there's that unseen thing that really becomes the, the, the invisible fence for the believer. The Holy Spirit wielding the, the, the sword of the Spirit in the life of someone who's been changed by the Spirit. Okay, last thing. Last thing. Uh, Jesus, and I think this really comes out here, Jesus is the author and perfecter of faith who rewards faith. See, when we respond to faith by, in faith to Jesus, he responds by rewarding our faith. And again, not the exact thing we want. 
Hebrews 11.6 says that faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. By, by it, men of old gained approval. It says that without faith, it is impossible to please God. So you've got to have faith. Hebrews 12.2, though, says, Jesus is the author and perfecter of faith. He is the giver and the grower of faith. He starts it and he finishes it, takes it on to completion. So that tells us that faith doesn't originate with us. It is a gift from God. And faith, though, must be exercised, used, acted upon. It's a gift from God that's undeserved and it's received with gratitude. The summer we went to Hume Lake for a couple days and we got there and I know a friend who, who uh, works there in a, in, and he got a packet ready for us and we opened up the packet and there's all these gold wristbands and name tags. They're like staff name tags and then these shiny gold wristbands. And I'm thinking, okay. And so they says, put these on and, you know, and uh, we go to the eating place and they're like all free. Everything's, you got a gold wristband? Free. It's like, wow. Going to any meeting, and we had this, this uh, the Lakatas were there with us. This is true, right, Tom? And we go and we go into any meeting, and we got this staff badge on. So we're like, we get to walk in with no questions asked. We go over to get a boat. They're like gold wristband. Take whatever you want. And I was like, wow. But you know what it did for me? It didn't make me go, Haha, I got one and you don't. You know, it didn't make me arrogant towards other people that the little people that didn't have the gold wristband. It didn't make me think that. What it made me think was, hey, someone just threw some trash on the ground at Hume Lake. That's my Hume Lake. What are they doing? Because I was acting upon, I started having a a higher sense of ownership of the situation because I had been given privileges. See, God gives you gifts of faith. You got to act on it. And in accordance with the privileges, it's attached to it. I hope that makes sense. It's kind of the idea that Jesus grants what faith desires because he gives you the faith to begin with and he grows your faith and he rewards the faith. But the hard part is we got to do something with that faith. He he gave us a mind and and a will and an emotion and we got to act upon it. Basically, James 2 says, in verse 17 says, faith without works is what? It's dead. It, It means it's a false profession of faith if there's no fruit if there's no evidence if you have faith people will know people will know you will act upon it it will be accompanied by action and it will express itself through love as Galatians 5 6 says 1 Corinthians 4 7 tells us what do you have that you haven't received everything we have is a gift from God C.S. Lewis has this great quote that I love Uh, I'll read it with you up on the on the screen here um it says, uh, when we talk of a man doing anything for God or giving anything to God, I will tell you what it is really like. It is like a small child going to his father and saying, Daddy, give me sixpence to buy you a birthday present. Of course, the father does, and he is pleased with the child's present. It is all very nice and proper, but only a fool would think that the father is sixpence to the good on the transaction. See, we respond to faith that's given to us by acting in faith, believing, not believing everything we see, but believing what we know to be true because God says it's true. And then Jesus responds to faith by blessing that faith, by rewarding it. Let's pray.
Lord God, we thank you that, that Jesus, when he came to earth, know, knew why he came and where he was going, that he was going to the cross. He said, for this I was born. And we thank you, that the Lord Jesus, through the cross, through the blood, brought about the greatest blessing and deliverance and remembrance and reward ever. Because we know what our sin brought us, and it brought us sickness and misery and death. But thank you that Christ's sacrifice dealt with sin and gives life. So that in Christ, the sick are made well in God's perfect time. And that restoration isn't just possible, but it's our beautiful hope. Thank you, Lord, that you took a symbol of shame, the cross, and made it a thing of beauty. And we thank you, Lord, that faith's true reward is Jesus himself. We thank you in Christ's name. Amen.